You know, I think it's one of the most important things for us, as I shared in my first lesson, but one of the challenges of passion is maintaining it. How do you keep it? And I'm fairly confident in saying that we probably have all experienced some form of passion waning in our lives. But how do you restore it when that occurs? And it's not just an individual problem. It can actually be a collective one. Even entire churches as a whole sometimes can wane in passion. Look at this warning by Jesus to the church in Ephesus. And what's interesting is in the beginning is actually commending the church, and yet something is still lacking, and he doesn't get to it until the second part of it. But here it's what he writes in Revelation chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. This is the CSB version. Write to the angel of the church in Ephesus. Thus says the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, and your endurance, and that you cannot tolerate evil people. You have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you have found them to be liars. I know that you have persevered and endured hardships for the sake of my name, and have not grown weary. If we stopped right there, we'd say, wow, that, that's pretty good. Would you want that to be said about you or your church? Right? You do, right? Set my timer so I don't go long on you guys. Sometimes it doesn't want to do it. I guess God wants me just to preach however long I want. No, I'm kidding. Uh, you know, that's pretty encouraging. I mean, he, he recognizes their endurance, they're not growing weary, their work, their labor. But see, the challenge is, is passion is not just obedience. It's obedience with drive, with energy, with compassion, with zeal. And we can do all these things without passion. We can go through the motions, right? But if I were to ask you about a spousal relationship, if you were married, would you want your husband or your wife to just go through the motions, do all the things a husband or wife does, or do you want it to be included with passion? Right? And see, if, if Christianity is just religion, then we don't need passion. We can just check in, check out, do all the check boxes. But God is a relationship. He wants more than just going through the motions. Because even though this is highly commendable, look what He says next. That I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. You know, this is a challenging passage. Because I think we love to be commended. I think if you're here, you've not quit. But where's our passion? You know, it's interesting. I, I was actually going through the attic the other day, and I found my journal from back even before I was a Christian. And uh, I wrote a lot more back then. I probably need to get back to it. Uh, and it was really weird reading it, especially all the ones before becoming a disciple. Man, I was passionate about all kinds of things. As I'm reading, I'm just like, I was a mess. And it seemed like I was falling in love with a different girl like every page of my journal. Like, what? I was a mess. Uh, I was passionate about sports, about all these other things. And yet there was this overriding emptiness that I was also going to. And, and also this temptation to want to just finally give in to some sins that I was trying to hold off. 
And right in that moment where really I was very close to doing that, God intervened. And then I saw the whole coming to church for the first time and and the passion in God now became the dominant thing I was journaling about. And then came the day where I was baptized. And I I forgot, it's been a while since I've read it, but I wrote a five-page letter to God in that journal the day I was baptized. And as I was reading it, I was like, man, I didn't understand a whole lot back then. But I was very passionate. And then I thought, could I write that letter today? I understand a lot more, but I have less passion. That was convicting. There's something about a childlike faith, a young Christian faith, that we got to get back. And so it really made me think about, okay, I had that passion. I've had it wane and come back at different moments in my life, but if I was to say right now, at 50 years old, could I write that same letter with the same amount of passion? I can write with the same conviction. I still believe the same things, if not greater, but I want more of that passion. How do you restore it? I don't want to just go through the motions. So it made me think of an individual who began with passion, waned in passion, and then returned in passion. And it is Peter. So let's start with where that began. Where did this passion of Peter in following his Lord, Jesus, start? And rather than me reading it, uh, there's these great movies on iTunes. They're called The Gospels According to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's videos of the entire Gospels, and it's narrating only the words of the Bible. But it shows the actions behind it. And they actually look Jewish, by the way. It's like the real Jewish-looking Jesus. I'm like, yes, that, that looks more authentic. And so I'd like you to listen to the Word as it's being narrated. But at the same time, visualize that what's taking place. So let's look at Peter's passion begins. Luke chapter 5, if you want to follow along in your Scriptures, verse 1 through 11. Let's play the video. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats, left there by the fishermen, who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. 
So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Didn't that look more like Jesus? That was the moment. He had already had interaction with Jesus. He had heard some of His teaching, maybe even saw some of the miracles, but this was the moment. And I believe Jesus capitalized on a passion that was already there, but was unfulfilling. Because I think all of us were created in God's image. There is this desire to have a life that's life. Not a life that's unfulfilled or ultimately empty. Because let's be honest, if you didn't have passion for fishing, would you stay out all night? I don't think so. And if you were asked to go into deep water, if you're not passionate, would you do that? But I love what he said, and I believe this is where passion begins. Because you say so. It's that moment when we finally go, okay, God, I don't know, but you do. And because you say so, I'm going to jump. I'm going to throw that net. I'm going to take that step. I'm going to leave this behind. And the passion began. But there was also a realization in that passion. You are Lord, I am not. Go away from me, for I am a sinner. So I think sometimes our passion is proportional to how much we remember who we are before God. I think when we no longer see our need for God, there's no longer a need for as much passion. That's what I noticed as I was reading my letter to God, how clear to me I was lost and how there was no other way than to give my life to Jesus. But the longer you're in Christ, it's amazing how you can lose that dependence, that, that drive, that urgency, that necessity to have God in your life. They left everything and followed Him. Peter was a passionate follower. Uh, sometimes his passion didn't always match his actions. Sometimes his passion was misdirected, like, no, Jesus, you can't do that. Get behind me, Satan. Whoa. But he was passionate. But there came that moment where Peter's passion would be tested, and unfortunately, it failed. But I want you to think back. Where did your passion begin? What boat were you in? What was the other passions of your life that were unfulfilling that only Jesus could fill? What did you say yes to when Jesus asked you to do something and you responded, because you say so? I want you to think of that moment because that's where passion began and you may realize that's going to be important later. Okay? But let's go now to what happened. How did the passion wane? Well, it really didn't start to wane until the time of standing before the cross. In other words, when the storms really came. A lot of like what Shane shared, that's when our passion is truly tested. When it's not easy. When it's not just fun and games and miracles and joy, but when you're questioning God and what He says. When you're less likely to go, because you say so. You're like, well, I know you say so, but that's when our passion wanes. That's when we know we're heading that way. Let's see what happened to Peter. How did that take place? Peter's passion wanes. For the sake of time, I'm just going to refer to these. 
But in Matthew 26, verse 69 through 75, this is the beginning of that waning. First of all, Peter denies Jesus three times. In other words, his actions did not match his words. That's how you know you have true passion, when your actions match your words. He was emotionally and he spoke with passion. Jesus, no, I will surely go with you. I'll go to prison. I'll die for you. Peter, even tonight before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. See, if you have an area of your life where you say it, but you're not acting it, your passion is waning. And that's what happened to Peter. His actions didn't match his words. He denied him three times and immediately the rooster crows. And one of the scariest passages for me concerning that scenario is in Luke 22, verse 61. It's where it says, right after that happened, the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. What would it have been like to be Peter at that moment? He just brought down curse on him on that third time. Here's the rooster, and through the crowd, somehow, boom, Jesus. Yet I have this feeling, it wasn't, I told you so, look. It was more like, I still love you, Peter. I told you ahead of time so that you won't give up right now. Don't let this be the moment your passion is destroyed. I almost wonder if he was just, even with that glance, it's like, I know right now you think it's over. I would have loved to have been there. I would not love to have realized that I've done that to Jesus. Yet the reality is we all do. We all have that moment where our actions don't match our words. Jesus is Lord. And at that moment, Jesus is looking at us. We have a choice. Let our passion continue to wane or let it completely disappear or let it get restored. Let it return. He went outside and wept bitterly. He's still a passionate person. He didn't just walk away and go, well, that's over. He didn't do that. He he was still passionate, but he lost the passion that he had in Christ. And what's amazing is eventually comes the resurrection. And so in Mark 16, verse 6-14... Several things happen here. It's an amazing narrative. Is when the women do see Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, what Jesus says to them is so powerful. He says, Go tell the disciples and Peter. It was almost like Jesus knew that was the one who needed to hear I'm back of vital importance and urgency. Because he's probably on the brink of whatever passion I saw in him could ultimately be destroyed. I don't want that to happen. God doesn't want our passion to disappear. Please tell Peter. What's amazing though is he also appeared to Mary Magdalene who told the disciples, which included Peter, and it says they didn't believe her. He also appeared in a different form to two of them. This is the the road to Amos where in Luke 24, and they come back and they too did not believe them. Later, he even appears to the eleven, which would include Peter, right? And he rebuked them for their lack of faith and stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen him. This one's unique. Luke 24, verse 34, it actually records, this is that actual story of the two men, where it actually says, they record that Jesus had appeared 
to Simon. There was a moment that Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, had appeared personally to Simon. And I don't think it's a coincidence that it's appeared to Simon, not appeared to Peter. Something had changed in his passion that now he was no longer the Peter of passion. He was the Simon of before. And isn't that what happens to us? When our passion begins to wane, we become more the who we were before than who we are in Christ. But in 1 Corinthians 15.5, it also records that Jesus had appeared not only to 500, but also again mentions individually to Peter. So here's the shocking thing. Peter had seen the resurrected Jesus countless times, ones we know about, maybe others we don't, and he still was waning in his passion. The resurrected Jesus. Should we be surprised? How many communions have you taken this year where you're looking at the resurrected Jesus and your passion's still waning? So don't be so judgmental of Peter, okay? But it was still waning. Why? What happened? He's seeing the resurrected Lord and something's still not there. It's waning. How do we know that? Because even after all these appearances, he goes back to fishing. And then Jesus does something very interesting. Here's the the secret, I believe. That's not so secret. How did Peter's passion return? Let's go to John 21, and I'm going to show that video clip as well. Let's hear and watch. Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, Throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment round him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred meters. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there, with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. 
It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, Take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, Do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, Feed my sheep. Very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Mm. Do you see uh, anything familiar in what just took place? Does it kind of resemble where the passion all began? Almost exactly. Fishing, not catching anything. Jesus saying, throw it on the other side. Okay. And then it all hit Peter. And we find for the first time after the resurrection, at least recorded, where it's Lord. His passion had returned. So much so he jumped out of the boat to go meet his Lord. But I think Jesus wasn't done with that passion being truly returned. I do think, guys, we need to go back to the beginning and remember where it all started. What was going on? What did you understand? What did you feel? What did you do that maybe you're not doing now that helped fuel that passion for Christ? He he recreated the entire scene all over again. And what's amazing is this time, not only did the passion return, it remained until He would, as Jesus told Him, would die for Him. But he has this separate conversation. And I think this is very important. And I know, you know you've probably heard this passage many times in the different Greek words for love. But I think it's unique in this idea of passion and level of that we need to have for God. So I'm going to go back through that conversation showing which words of love. And again, the two words you'll see are agape, which is this unconditional, I will love whether I'm loved in return or not. Agape, a godly love. Then there's philo, which is more of that mutual 
kind of friendship love. Both loves are necessary with God. I just want to say that up front. Both are necessary. But is there one that's greater? Let's look. So Jesus says, Do you love me? Agape. Peter, you know that I love you. Philos. Hmm. Jesus responds, Feed my lambs. This is important, this part. No matter where your love is to where God would like your love to be, there's something you can do. <laughs> Feed my lambs. In other words, don't think about yourself. Think about others. Passionate people can't keep it to themselves. Passionate people, true passion, ultimately at some point has to go to others. And I believe that's the answer, guys. If our passion's waning, feed His sheep. Serve one another. Serve the poor. Serve the lost. Feed others. And I believe that passion could increase. But then Jesus asked the second time, Do you love agape me? Peter, you know that I, philos, love you. Same answer. Take care of my sheep. But then the third question. Jesus changes it. Do you, philos, love me? Peter replied, you know that I, philos, love you. Now, why is that unique that Jesus changed the third? And I believe there's a reason for it. Because the next part of the text says this, Peter was hurt that Jesus said the third time, do you love philos, me? If it was just that he said it the third time, that's all he would have had to say. Peter was hurt that he said it the third time. No, it says that he said it the third time and then quotes, do you philos love me? He wasn't hurt by the two times that Jesus asked, agape, do you love me? It's when he was questioned about where his level of love was at that he was hurt. Because that's the one we can deal with. And I love the fact that Jesus met him where he was. But he started with where he wanted him to be. So I have a question. Let's show the little graph. Let's go to the next image. Where's your passion level? Is it philo? Or is it agape? I believe Jesus wants him to go agape. How do I know this? Because the very next thing he talks about is, you're going to have to go where you don't want to go. You're going to have to love when no one loves in return. If you're going to fulfill the passion that I see in you to fulfill your calling to me as your Lord, you're going to have to have agape. Or you won't make it. And we know the story. He did. Not only had his passion returned, it remained to the end. And he died for our Lord, just as Jesus said. Tradition saying that upside down. Because he didn't feel worthy to be crucified as his Lord. Where's your passion level? Has your time with God just become philo? Or is it agape? So when I looked at my letter and how I was writing to God, it was more agape. 
It was, man, I'll give this up, I'll give this up, I'll give this up, I'll get this doesn't matter anymore. And I was reading this, I'm like, I got it. I saw it then. I had less understanding, but I had more agape. And then I looked today, and it's like, I have more understanding, but I'm like, ooh, I'm not always willing to give that up, or that up, or that up, or that up. Not sin necessarily, but just parts of your life you still want control of. Like your time. Like your level of passion. Where's that? Because you say so. I'm going to do it. But I'm encouraged that it can return. So let's go back to the letter to close out, Revelations 2.5. Because not only is it an individual problem, it can be a collective problem. And in verse 5 he says, Remember then how far you have fallen. But so much of what Shane shared in his testimony and sharing for communion is sometimes you've got you to stop and examine yourself. Where is your passion? Where is your philo or agape for, for God and for others and for the lost? We've got to see where we're at. But it's hard to know where you're at if you don't know where you began and where you ended. So it goes on. Repent and do new things. No, do the works you did at first. In other words, he's saying you don't have to learn something new to get your passion back. There's not some new program, some new series, some new study. You just got to do what you did in the beginning when you were on that boat and you're going, man, I'm not catching anything. And then the Lord says, throw it on this side and you go, because you say so, and you do it. And then, man, it's miraculous and it's incredible. And you're like, yeah! And He says, follow me. You go, yes! You remember those days. Should it be any different today? It shouldn't. In fact, the more we know about God, the more passionate in the sense we should be, but that's not the reality, at least for me. I looked, I read my journal, I'm like, man, but I want it back. And the more I started reading the beginning, the more I got excited about now. That that passion can come back. That I got I to agape my Lord. I got to agape my wife. I've got to agape my friends, my family, the church, my neighbor, the lost, the poor. If I just feed the sheep, that passion will come back. Otherwise, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Whoa! See, guys, if you don't do something about waning passion, eventually it could be taken entirely. And we've all seen it. We've seen great, even great heroes of our faith where the passion waned, was not returned, and it blew out. Now, I still think there's breath in their lungs and there's a chance God can bring them back, but I don't want to take that risk. I know you don't want to take that risk, but we got to remember. So how do we restore our passion? I think we need to remember Peter. Peter's passion began. So did ours. Go back. Remember, just as Saint said, remember how your passion began. Where was it? What was said? What was done? How would you feel? What were the things you did after? And that you maintained to get that passion you had in the beginning. But Peter's passion waned. So we got to examine. Where is ours waned? Why? How? Where? When? What? we got to ask those questions. Examine. 
so that we can figure out how to get our eyes back on Jesus. But Peter's passion returned, and I dare say, remained. Repent, and your passion too will return. Love agape, and your passion will remain. Let us go to God as we pray for that restoration of that kind of passion. Lord God, we come to You so thankful for the Scriptures. For examples like Peter that we can relate to. Even someone as great as him, his passion had waned. And yet, God, You still thought of him. Your first thought, even of resurrection, was go tell Peter. And so, God, I, I hope that as we face whatever storms we're facing, where our passion may be waning, that we can look past the pain, look past the doubt, look past the fear, look through the crowd and see You looking back at us. Not with disgust, not with I told you so, but with these eyes of hope that saying, You can get it back. And help us to hear Your words through even brothers and sisters that have been told by the Spirit to come and tell us, please tell this person by name. Help us, God, to to feed the sheep. To not just love with feeling, philo, like friends, but to go even further, to love agape. Help our passion return. Help our passion remain. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We are dismissed.